Another Way to Play, episode 95. I think that's a big mistake is people waiting for that like perfect deal because people that are waiting for that perfect deal, I'll tell you when that perfect deal comes up, you don't think that there's going to be a ton of other investors that are much more experienced than that person that's going to jump on it right away anyways. Right. <laughs> They're going to be doing nothing for years. Hey everybody, this is Sarah Larby, real estate investor, Canadian birth specialist, and also the host of two podcasts, Where Should I Invest and The Right Club. If you wanted to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to another way to play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to another way to play your wake up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine to five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Sarah Larby. Uh, she's a Canadian real estate investor who is on her way to building a seven-figure, 10-property investment portfolio by her early 30s, all while staying fully employed in a typical nine-to-five job, believe it or not. Uh, she is a huge fan of the Burr strategy and is also a meetup expert and has created a number of real estate-related meetups in her market, uh, and that's really helped her grow her business, which we'll talk about in the episode. She's also the host of two different podcasts, one called Where Should I Invest, which reached the top 50 all-time Canadian investing on Apple, as well as the REITE Club, uh, where she co-hosts with another real estate investor. In this one, guys, we talk a lot about real estate specifically, but also pull some general business lessons out of this. Uh, Sarah talks about really knowing your numbers and knowing when enough is enough. Uh, she's in a phase of her investing career where she's built up a portfolio and now she's focused on uh, paying it off so that it cash flows at a higher level and taking that into her then being able to partner on more deals going forward. Uh, definitely a different investing strategy than many, um, but a lot to learn if you have even the slightest interest in real estate. Um, she also does talk about how she started. Uh, in the beginning, she didn't have a lot of resources. She didn't know much about real estate, but she got fairly educated and pulled the trigger, made some mistakes, but made it happen. Uh, so listen up for all of that. And before we get to the interview, I uh, just want to say thank you to those of you who've done this, but if you haven't, uh, please head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because uh, it really helps me grow the show and gives me some critical feedback that I implement into the show. I do read all of those. So thank you again to those who've done that. And I would uh, really appreciate it if you take a few minutes and do that in, once this is over. Uh, so without any further ado, let's just go ahead and bring her in. Here is my guest for the day, Sarah Larby. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm pumped to be able to, uh, to talk to you. Now, we are across the country. I am in Ontario in Canada, and you are all the way in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really, really nice that we're able to connect um, 
with Zoom and with all the all the technology we have and still still have these conversations. So with that, you know, we've we've given a little bit of context about who you are to the audience, but why don't we go ahead and build a little bit more and talk about where your journey actually began? Sure. So I, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, I am a real estate investor. I've been doing, um, usually the birth strategy. It's my favorite mm-hmm. and started in 2013. And, uh, the reason I started is, uh, my boyfriend and I went to the bank and the financial advisor was doing like, you know, your assets and your liabilities. And I even know what an asset or a liability was back then. Pretty embarrassing. So I, uh, Googled, went home and, uh, became very obsessed with Googling how people become wealthy and how do people create passive income and retire mm-hmm. early. Real estate kept coming back over and over. And actually, that's how I got started. I didn't necessarily know anybody that was doing it, um, but it seemed like a good option when I was Googling it and uh, started listening to some podcasts, read some books and uh, bought the cheapest thing I can afford. Well, the, that's that's interesting that you started I mean, it sounds like you started like most people do, but did you start and, and come across bigger pockets or were there some other resources that you found that were better for you? Um, well, being in Canada, I didn't even, I don't think there were Canadian specific real estate podcasts back then. So it was American. <laughs> There's a few um, that I listened to. Bigger Pockets was one of them. Um, there was the multifamily investing, uh, Rod Cleave. There was. Mm-hmm. Wine hold, I, I was kind of just consuming whatever I can get my hands on. And, yep. uh, you know, a lot of the tax, the finances, the uh, legal stuff, the accounting stuff is very different. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily know when you're starting what's actually different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was quite interesting. And, and regardless, it got me motivated and it got me um, to understand enough that I felt comfortable just going ahead and learning the rest through experience. Got it. So, um, it's interesting that that there wasn't a specific Canadian uh, investing platform or, or group or podcast or whatever, because um, now it seems like there's thousands of podcasts and resources online about basically every niche and every little like sector of the world that you could possibly want. Um, there might have been, but you know, I <laughs> never found it. I guess back then. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So so you basically started off with this moment of like what the heck is an asset and a liability all the way to, okay, there's this concept of birth strategy. Now I'm going to go try this and buy a house. Can you tell us a little bit about that first deal and what you did and what you learned on it? Yeah. So I didn't even know what the birth strategy was anyway. So we probably didn't even start burring until the third or fourth property. Before we dig in on that, can you just tell everyone what burr is? Because I imagine a few of us don't know. It's the best combination of flipping and holding. And so essentially it's, it's B stands for buy. R stands for renovate, the other R stands for rent, and then refinance, and then repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so essentially, you can recycle your money, you can lift up appreciation, and you still have that long-term wealth creation by holding it long-term. Because, you know, when we first started, um, you know, my, my spouse and I, um, you know, I, I love the real estate definitely more than he does. Uh, he's, you know, goes along with it, but um, I didn't know that there was the birth strategy. I didn't even know there was rent to own. I didn't know of, of all these other options that existed. Mm-hmm. I figured there was like, you know, you're a landlord, you have a buy and hold property and you collect your rents. And then there was flipping, which looked like the TV, you know, HDTV stuff that yeah, I know yeah. I, I'm not handy and I couldn't do. And I thought like, this is how little I knew. I thought you actually had to be physically <laughs> the one yeah. building stuff. Yep. So yep. The, the one that seemed the simpler, you know, 
option of the two was just to buy something that was pretty much ready to go and put the tenants in. Got it. So, so that first one was, was that like a kind of a move in ready and then just put a tenant in there and, and collect rents and, and move forward. Yeah, we actually uh, found my sister-in-law as the first tenants. Um, mm-hmm. Don't think I would recommend it, but uh, you know we didn't know what we were doing, so we didn't even know what normal rent was. So one of the questions we said is, "How much can you afford?" And she gave us a number, and we're like, "Okay, <laughs> not a good, not a good way to get started." That's yeah, generally <laughs> speaking, that's family or friends in your in your rental, especially in the very beginning, is tough because you have that added layer of. Um, complexity with the relationship <laughs> yeah absolutely but it got it got us started I mean at the end of the day like would I do it again absolutely not um, but it was you know how we got started and I don't know if we would be here today if it wasn't at least for her being her first tenant yeah absolutely so you so you bought that first property and then it sounds like you got bit by the bug like and then you bought a few more over time and and now you've sort of scaled this up to a a pretty different place. Like talk us through that, that some of those early days and what happened after that first one. Yeah. So one of the biggest concerns, I guess my spouse had originally at the time was, was to have a bad tenant. And so we ended up finding tenants prior to finding the properties. And so our second property was uh, like a, a Craigslist ad that I responded to in, in Canada. It's called Kijiji. And so we started talking and then we actually found her first and then we found the property based on her budget and everything like that. And so we actually did that for the first few and then it started getting really competitive in our market. Um, so we couldn't do that anymore, but it, it helped us scale. Um, over time, things were becoming more competitive. There's multiple offers. You can do the you know, turnkey quote unquote where you don't really have a whole lot of, of rental work for the same price. So we had to start looking for some more dated, older properties that needed cosmetic work, um, started renovating that and then realized, oh my God, there's like a whole other way to do this where you can, you don't have to save for your down payments. You can actually, you know, refinance um, and reuse that money to be able to, to buy and to scale up. So, um, you know, we've got 12 units today and, uh, you know, every year I try to add one or two to the portfolio. We're currently working on a Burr in Burlington price wise, you know, actually prices in San Francisco are probably very similar <laughs> to yeah, yeah. ours as well. But, um, you know, we do that. And then, um, you know, I've got a sixplex under contract as well. So we're just kind of negotiating some of that. Wow. So you've really, you've really sort of taken that, that strategy from putting your sister-in-law in the, in the very first one to now you're, you're really starting to build a portfolio and trying to um, use some of the other creative strategies like the Burr uh, to learn about this um, or to execute rather. But what I'm interested in um, just for the context of your story and the listenership, um, like along the way there's like real estate investing when you first start sounds like a really scary thing it sounds really cool but really scary there's so many things you don't know like how did you start to break some of that down so that you weren't um you know fearful i guess or had an analysis paralysis to not take action and not actually buy something or or do something I mean, the thing about me is I have always been an action taker. Like, you know, that, you know, saying that they say ready, fire, and then aim, that's kind of what I do. 
And then yeah. I learned and I've made mistakes. Um, had I done it with, you know, maybe hiring a coach or something in the beginning, it would have avoided maybe some of the original, um, you know, pain points and the original mistakes. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, over time, you just got to get in there. And yeah. if, you, if you learn enough, you're not going to learn everything. You're not going to have your perfect deal. Buy something that's good enough and hold on for the long term and it will become a great deal over time. Like everything that I've bought, you know, even in the beginning when I'm like, mm, do we like this one? Do we not like this one? Like they've, they've turned out amazing because we're holding them because the, you know, as the tenants change over, like, I don't know what, you know, how California is, but in Ontario, you're capped at how much you can raise rents by until your tenants move out. Yep. But when they do, like your, your rents um, year over year, the regular market increases about 10 plus percent in some of these oh, areas. Wow. And the vacancies are 1% vacancy rate. So, so I think, you know, over time you develop processes and you develop strategies and different things. Like one of the things that for me is really important is screening my tenants. Because if I don't find tenants that um, are going to pay on time um, and also mm-hmm. like in Ontario, I want them to move out within two to five years. I actually don't want them to stay forever. So asking them with certain questions about like what their plan is for the property and all that stuff. And especially in, in times like COVID right now, and depending on when this airs, I want to know if they went on rent strike, if they actually made plans to pay their landlord, if they paid on time, like those are all going to be really important things that are going to matter to me, even in a year from now when I'm going to be screening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, over time, I mean, you, you just develop processes and and in terms of the renovations you figure out exactly what makes sense to renovate based on the area that you're in and and what's overkill can you tell us a time maybe early on when you maybe made a mistake or you you over renovated or you did something that was just like a huge kick in the shin but it was a great learning experience um there's a twenty thousand dollar attic repair that we had to do because the seller had closed off the attic so we couldn't see during the inspection. And it turned out there was black mold and vermiculite asbestos. Um, and that's $20,000 later. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, that property today is worth about three forty. We bought it for two thirty six three years ago. Um, yeah. And it's cash flowing well today. So really in the grand scheme of things, like a $20,000 mistake is a good learning experience to say, unless I can see in the attic or I can ask to make a hole or, you know, view it prior I probably yep. won't buy anything with a shut, closed attic access or no attic yeah. access whatsoever. You know, it's interesting because what what you're saying is like the, depending on how you buy things, like especially in the beginning, you can chalk some of this up to education. Um, and as long as your deal is good enough, you can absorb some mistakes. And, you know, my my wife and I have four units total. And the first one, like we bought at such a good price um, relative to the comps. I think it was almost a hundred K under what it roughly comped for. Granted it was in bad shape, but there was a huge margin in there. So we like, you know, we had to replace the electrical um, junction boxes in the both units and that was 5k. And then we, you know, had to paint it and we had literally pest company coming out there every month since we've owned this thing. That's a hundred dollars a month basically. And, you know, like, yes, all that stuff is kind of annoying. And like, we didn't exactly plan for all of it, didn't underwrite for all of it. But because we had such a good deal and the cash flow was so beefy, we were able to absorb some of those sort of learning curves. And in the property still cash flows, it's very positive on equity, like what you're describing. And, you know, and now for the next one, we were way smarter and then we bought it a little better. 
And now for this third one that hopefully we find this year, we're going to be even better than that. And so to think that you're going to like do it all at once, get it right on the first try is, is crazy. But, you know, you do want to get to a minimum threshold to know you're buying at least something that's decent before you pull that trigger. And I'm assuming you would probably agree with that. Yeah. So one of the things I often see is analysis paralysis where people are looking for that perfect burr where they're pulling out all of their renos and their down payments. And in some markets that might still be the case, but where we're looking like in Ontario and Southern Ontario in the the Niagara kind of area, there's just a lot of competition. And so if I can do, you know, a hole in one burr as an example, where I'm pulling everything else, like that might be just like one in six or seven of them that I'm doing. Um, the majority of the time, I'm happy if I pull out my reno costs and a portion of my down payment. So instead of maybe 60 or 70K down payment, I only have 30,000 my original money in, which after a while, it's not even your original money, it's HELOCs or line of credits from right. other properties that you've refinanced. So I think that's a big mistake is people waiting for that like perfect deal because people that are waiting for that perfect deal, I'll tell you when that perfect deal comes up, you don't think that there's going to be a ton of other investors that are much more experienced than that person that's going to jump on it right away anyways. <laughs> right. They're going to be doing nothing for years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. Like there's, there's a minimum threshold that you should probably get to with real estate investing, with starting a business, with going out on your own. But um, at a certain point, it's like you have to get out there and you have to give it a shot. And maybe that means you partner with someone. Maybe that means you, um, you know, you do a side hustle. Maybe that means, you know, you buy a small house and put your uh, sister-in-law in it as a tenant, but at least you get out there and you give it a shot, right? And, and ultimately, if you've sort of done some of the due diligence the right way along the way, and especially if you're, you know, listening to podcasts, reading some books, get a mentor the likelihood that you're going to fail straight up completely fail is, is pretty low ultimately in the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's risk in everything. There's, there's more risk right now, in my opinion of me just leaving money in the stock market or mutual fund, or, you know, in some, in some markets, just leaving in too much in cash. Um, because you know, at some point you need your money to create money for you. You can't just have it just sit there you know, inflation is going to eat at it over time, especially with, um, and I don't know how the U.S. is doing this, but like we're printing a lot of money right now, quantitative mm -hmm. inflation is oh, yeah. going to catch up at some point. So, can, you know, should you plan for the good and should you plan for the bad? Absolutely. Plan for both. Have enough, you know, cash available so that when things like, you know, an economic downturn happens that you can withstand it, but that you also have plans for, you know, how do you keep your, your money making more money and how do you grow in the good times as well? So, you know, everyone's going to invest differently, but I think for me, real estate was the most control that I have out of everything else. So now that you've sort of built up this portfolio, um, what was the next thing? Cause you've, you've done more than just buy some rentals here. You've really turned your interest into passion into a business, right? So like, how are you supporting your real estate you know, business basically outside of just buying it, rentals and looking at deals? Yeah. So I actually still work full-time. I was going down to part-time this year before all this happened and I may still take, um, take that step as well. So everything that I've built was actually no, with no JVs. 
Um, I, for me, it was actually important to have my own portfolio that I had full 100% control over before I left my job so that I could get as much financing as I can to have 100% control and, and be able to keep you know, these, these properties as my nest egg properties. So the next step now is to joint venture, is to find properties I'm going to have a five to seven year exit plan on and then use that cash to then pay down the nest egg projects essentially. So one of the other things that I'm doing is, of course, I have the podcast like you. I've got two podcasts. I have the Right Club, which is a um, real estate investing training club that uh, we do. Well, now it's on Zoom, but we meet monthly um, and we actually have a whole online platform for Canadians as well. And then I'm, I also do some coaching, some courses. I have uh, like small group like Burr classes. So because I love it so much, I also want to help others. And I think that if I had gone that route to start with, I probably would be a lot further today <laughs> and have, you yeah. know, in the first five years and, you know, increase that learning curve a lot more and faster. So relative to the networking component here, because this, you know, whether it's on a podcast or your meetups, like give us, give us a sense of like how that has impacted your business and, and the way that you're, you're looking at your trajectory here. Cause I think a lot of people, especially when they start something new, they get a little scared to talk about it because they don't want to look stupid or they think that everyone else is killing it and they're over here just twiddling their thumbs, right? Like how, how has that networking really helped you as both um, learning and also being a mentor to others? Yeah, I mean, in terms of networking, your team is going to make or break your whole experience, right? Your mortgage broker, your realtor, your lawyer, your accountant. For me, it was really important to find those right people on my team. That took actually a lot of time. <laughs> so if I can facilitate that even for somebody to say, here's who I use, you can have, the, you know, use the same team for now and you can change it up over time. Um, that took a long time for us, especially with contractors. Um, you know, we've tried a lot. We've, you know, had to fire some, um, some went well, some didn't. And, you know, even the good ones at some point, they just get so busy or the prices change and you have to, you know, tweak that over time. But I will say that like this whole you know, I wouldn't change anything because I'm at the point where I'm working because I want to work, mm-hmm. not because I have to work. And I think that's a big difference. Mm, absolutely. So setting yourself up into a position where um, you get to make the decision of whether what it is you do and who you help and how you help them and that sort of thing, as opposed to like, I need to go find a deal. I need to go, you know, clock some hours or whatever. Like there's a mindset shift that happened for you somewhere along the way. Yeah, because I don't necessarily need to find a deal. Like it's, it's the funniest thing ever because you're not doing real estate to do, well, I mean, some people do, but I'm not doing it just to have like, oh, one more property, oh, one more property. Like at some point, like it's because, you know, right now I'm talking to you, I'm from my, you know, talking to you from my cottage, um, you know, on the lake. Like there's, there's got to be other things that will help you get to your goals. That's not just like one more deal, one more deal. And for me, it's the freedom and the ability to just kind of do what I want to do travel, you know, once these bands get lifted, (laughs) be able to travel. Um, so, you know, that's why I would want to do the real estate. Um, and then, you know, with having done it, the more that, you know, you talk about it, like you're having, you do your podcast with a podcast, like people will come to you and say, Hey, can you, can you do a JV with me? So there's opportunity. Um, I think it's a really cool spot to be at. Like for me, you know, to work with a JV. I'm not opposed to it. Um, it was just important, like I mentioned, to have my own stuff first. And now, you know, again, if you're going to be with somebody for five to seven years, it has to be the right person. So um, I am working with a few to just find some, some good deals to help them as well to get started. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well said. When, when you, 
have thought about this for yourself. How have you gone through the decision-making of like, I guess, when enough is enough? Because you're right, like we can get addicted to doing one more transaction, one more property, one more rental, one more sale, whatever it is that that we as the listeners here are, are into. Like, how did you go about deciding like, is this going to serve a lifestyle or is this going to be the lifestyle? Does that make sense? Yeah. So originally I actually thought I needed 10 properties um, and that was going to be my goal. And then I ended up talking to my mortgage broker and she actually broke it down. Um, and I guess your answer to that is I talked to her and, and we have a plan every year. And so the recent plan that we had discussed in February, I was actually at my goal of what I wanted to be at. So now we're like, okay, now we got to pay down the debt essentially because when it all get, you know, it all gets paid off, you're looking, you're still paying taxes and, you know, maintenance and insurance and stuff like that, but you're going to take home about 70% of what that rent is, right? Because right. there's no mortgage. And so we work that backwards. So we say, how much do you want for the month to be able to like have your, you know, your goal met or do what you need to do? So then we had that number and then we just said, okay, how many, you know, paid off properties is that at an average rent amount? And so working it backwards like that, actually, originally I needed a lot more. But um, when we did our last, our last check-in, because our goals change every year or two, right, right. as things happen, um, we actually decided that we're at our goals. So now we're looking to start paying down the properties and doing some quicker cash options to start paying off our nest egg properties. That's really cool. So, so basically the answer is you work backwards from what your goal is in reverse engineer. In this case, how many properties you need, or it could be how many recurring clients you need or whatever, like whatever, replace property with whatever your thing is and you'll find it, but reverse engineer it and then have a team around you to, to help hold you accountable and to, to plug in the expertise uh, components there. Yeah. And it's based on income, right? Like who cares about the net worth? It's how much is your money making you? And so if you're saying, I want $10,000 a month of income in my pocket from these properties, then you probably need to have about 14,000 and change um, of gross rents once paid off. Right. Right. And so what does that look like in number of properties? It could be four five, six duplexes, depending on what your rent is. Um, it could be 10 single families. It could be a couple buildings like, you know, and, and you can essentially work it down backwards from that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really fantastic advice. Um, relative to kind of going forward, you've, you've talked about the nest egg properties and I know we're getting towards the end of the time. So I want to respect your time at the, at the lake house, but, um, real quick, when you say a nest egg property, how are you defining that for yourself and what, what does that actually mean so that the audience can kind of understand what you're doing with that? Yeah. So essentially the properties I'm holding on for the long term. These are properties that I will own fully that I can make all decisions on whether to keep, whether to refinance, whether to sell. Um, essentially, they're properties that I, I plan on keeping um, that are going to be generating the cash flow that I am looking for once they're paid off. So that's a, how I define those. And then I'll, I'll do my, my quick cash properties and those will be JVs. Maybe I'll do like a five to seven year burr strategy. I'll teach them how to do the burr. Five to seven years we sell or they buy me out. We take, you know, once they're paid off from what they put in the, in terms of the cash, um, we take the profits 50-50 and then I pay down the properties that I own fully um, from that money. So you really have a whole plan with not only um, these properties that you have, these nest egg properties, but then 
how to get them paid down so that the cash flow is robust enough that you can potentially retire on or at least be very, very comfortable. And then, like you said, go on and decide if you want to keep working or do something else. Yeah. I don't care about having a thousand properties. I don't like just to say what you have a thousand. I'd rather just say I can do whatever I want. I am still young enough to enjoy it and I have what I need. And that's essentially like, that's all I need. That's all I want. Right. That's a really good distinction because it's easy to look at somebody uh, who has 500,000, several thousand units under management um, and think, wow, that must be really awesome. But what you're saying is, you know, 10, 15 properties or units or depending on the metrics that you're looking at, a building or two, like you can retire off of that sort of thing. Like it really doesn't have to be this huge, huge you know, behemoth of a, of a portfolio to really make an impact in your life. Absolutely. Even if you have like two or three and you hang on to them for 20, 30 years, like, I mean, we're in an area, um, that appreciate, you know, five to 10%. And I don't know if we'll have those numbers every single time. In some years they were appreciating 15 to 20%. I don't think we'll get that either, but I've bought some properties, you know, like one example, I bought a property for 165,000. I bought it right. Um, and I bought it quickly, didn't do anything to it. And it was like a year later, we pulled out all of our down payments money just mm-hmm. on the fact that we bought it right and didn't touch it and the appreciation. Now that's not going to happen everywhere, but there's some markets where you may not make as much cash flow at the beginning, but your appreciation mm-hmm. will allow you to pull your money out and, and keep scaling. And yeah. then at yeah. some point you're going to start paying them off. Man, you're getting me excited because right before COVID started, we started a refinance on that first property, this duplex that we bought, and we were about to pull out our original down payment out of it to then go combine with some more money and and put into a new property. But um, COVID obviously had a different opinion on that situation, but yeah. we're we're still trying to make that happen. Um, Sarah, this has been really awesome. Really appreciate your time. I uh, want to respect it. So I am going to transition us here to the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Ready. First question is what book have you gifted most often? Anything by Don Campbell. He's a Canadian uh, real estate investor, started um, a big group back in the day for uh, Canadian investors as well. Um, and he's written some great books anything by him. If you could get an hour of somebody's time past or present live or dead and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I would probably say Don Campbell again. And he's been investing in Canada for 30, 40 years. Um, seen a lot of the ups and downs, the cycles. I did have him on my podcast actually as well. Um, just tons of information, tons of knowledge, and he's just really humble. So you kind of did get an hour of his time. I reached out to him and he accepted to be on the podcast. (laughs) That's the power of podcast people. What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Probably ready, fire, aim. Sometimes I, you know, don't need to analyze everything and maybe you'll make some mistakes, but I'm, I'm where I am today because I didn't have that analysis paralysis. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? So pre-COVID, um, what I used to do is I used to wake up at 4 a.m. and I used to have a gym class, so Orange Theory Fitness, from like 5.15 for an hour. Um, so I used to work out for you know good good first hour, read some articles on real estate uh, investing, and uh, you know get ready. It takes me an hour to get ready in the morning. Long hair. 
<laughs> long hair yeah a lot of a lot of hair drying and such i imagine yeah. uh, sarah this has been awesome what is the best place online that we can connect with you and then also what are the names of both of your podcasts so i am on instagram which is uh, at investor sarah larby and they can also go to my website sarahlarby.com if they wanted to check out our club it's the right club it's r-e-i-t-e so therightclub.com, they can go there or send me an email, sarahlarby.com. I'm going to link to all of that down in the show notes, guys, so you don't have to remember all of it. You can just go down there, click on the links, and it will be available for you to check out. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate all the value you brought, all the stories, insights, you know, about real estate investing and just getting started. Um, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day at your lake house. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. If you got uh, value out of this and you want to connect with Sarah, uh, please head over down into the show notes. I've got all of her information linked up down there so she's easy to find. Uh, And if you want to connect with me, uh, I'm just a little bit lower down in the show notes at the very bottom. Uh, You can see all my social profiles as well as my Calendly link. Uh, So jump on a call with me. Let's book a time and get to know one another. I'd love to get to know you. Uh, and I'd love to uh, just see how I can continue to provide value and uh, get to know one another just a little bit better. Uh, so without any further ado, let's sign it off for today. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.